0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Giants Confirmed for our second episode. I'm Trevor Ickrath.
1: I'm Matt Ribeiro.
0: Matt, we're back. We're doing another episode of Giants Confirmed. Here we are to talk about They Might Be Giants. Yes. And their wonderful studio albums.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I assume we'll get to the other albums afterwards just because, like, you know, eventually we'll run out of stuff to record about.
0: Of course, and we'll want to keep going, but we still have, like, quite a long road ahead of us. We've only gotten through one so far. Last time we sat down, we talked about their self-titled debut. Which some people call the Pink Album. Yeah, we were both pretty big fans, and I'm excited to hear what you think about uh, what many consider to be the band's like best record. I think
1: Lincoln. The thing about the MIB Giants fans is that they do not agree over what's the best album, but you're going to find the largest number of people saying Lincoln. Yeah, and I, this is the one that
0: I see non-MIB Giants fans mention too.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the one that actually ranked on like Pitchfork's Best Album of the '80s. So like, you know, Normie's like this one.
0: Yeah. And like I I told a friend of mine, I was doing a They Might Be Giants podcast. He's like, oh, cool. I'm a big fan of Lincoln. Yeah,
1: it's very good. Whenever I have to do one of those like Topsters, Top 50 albums list, it's like absolutely no question that this is always number one.
0: Number one of all time. Yeah.
1: Like nothing else really displaces it for very long.
0: Very cool. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about this one. Yeah. This is one of the They Might Be Giants albums that I've had like more experience with in my life. Probably the one I've listened to most over the years, This or Flood. And it's always definitely been one of my favorites. I don't know if I'd say it's, like, a huge step up from uh, their self-titled. It almost feels like the songs could be, like, from the same sessions. Yeah. But I think if you, like, look closely, you can see some, like, little bits of improvement here or there. Like, I think one big area where they kind of improved was the lyrics. I found myself really getting attached to some of the lyrics from this project in a way that I didn't quite get there with uh, the self-titled one.
1: Yeah, like, I'm not going to put, like, a huge diss on the Pink album or anything, but they're, like... There are lyrics that are straight-up nonsense on that album.
0: Yeah, and there are nonsense lyrics here, too, but they're also really
1: good. I mean, sometimes the nonsense lyrics are trying to say something. I don't necessarily know what it is all the time. but That's
0: They Might Be Giants in a nutshell, though, isn't it? Of course. Saying something out of nonsense.
1: (laughs) That's They Might Be Giants. Yeah.
0: Uh, what should we do before we get into the tracks? Do you want to talk about the cover? We did that last time, and I really like this one. So this is maybe my favorite They Might Be Giants album cover.
1: Yeah, it's a Brian Dewin cover.
0: Yeah, he apparently is an artist responsible for, like, a series of weird, like, shrines, he calls them. Yeah. And this one features uh, two of the bands.
1: They're their grandparents, I'm pretty sure. John
0: Flansburg's maternal grandfather. Brigadier General Ralph Hospital.
1: Fucking sick-ass name. And
0: John Linnell's paternal great-grandfather, Louis T. Linnell.
1: I think it's really good that it's a thing that was like built.
0: (laughs) And it's just a nice shot. It's very like pastoral. Uh, The photograph was taken by Carol Kitman. And you can see references to it in uh, the music video for Anna Ng, too. There's those two little girls holding up pictures of their grandfather. But we'll talk about that when we talk about the song, I guess.
1: I really just, I love Brian Dewan. It's Brian Dewan or Brian Dewan. I never remember which one it is. I think it's Dewan. I l- tried looking him up on the internet for, like, uh,
0: some more examples of his work, but I, like, was kind of lazy and just looked through Google Images, and most of it was all just, they might be Giants-related stuff.
1: Most of the other stuff I would know him from is that he was also, like, a good friend and collaborator of uh, Julian Koster of the Music Tapes. Oh,
0: that's cool. He seems like he would fit in with them, too, yeah.
1: Yeah, he also did the interior artwork of In the Airplane Over the Sea. Oh, So, like, neat. Brian DeWan did, like, artwork for two of my top five albums. <laughs>
0: Somebody should do an Elf and Six podcast.
1: Fuck. That, that's something that just, like, if you, de- depending on how close you, you hew your definition, like, you can make it pretty wide-reaching.
0: Uh, but Lincoln was named after uh, the John's hometown of Lincoln, Massachusetts, and it was originally going to be called Lincoln Calling, which is a play on The Clash's
1: London Calling. I think Lincoln's just a better name. It's just really succinct. And I'm pretty sure the band that uh, both Danny Miller and Dan Weinkoff came from, the two guys who are in the band now, Um, Their band, Lincoln, was named... I'm fairly certain it was named after this album.
0: Interesting. I love when that kind of stuff happens.
1: They're in the band now.
0: So do you have anything else you want to say about the album in general before we get into the track by track?
1: No, not really.
0: Let's do it then. Let's talk about the songs. Starting with uh, one of the band's biggest hits, Anna Ang.
2: Make a hole with a gun perpendicular to the a desktop globe exit wound in a
1: foreign nation, showing the home of the one this was written for. <laughs> the name the name was chosen by like it was they're they looking in like a phone book and finding that there was a lot of angs.
0: Yeah, I have a quote from Linnell where he says, I, I was collecting possible song ideas, and for some reason I ended up looking in the phone book, and there were about four pages of this name that contained no vowels ang. I was fascinated because it's a name I didn't know about before and was filling up a large chunk of the Manhattan White Pages. I called up some of the numbers, kind of experimentally, to find out how it was pronounced. And I got the phone number of a Dr. Ng, and I was kind of relieved. The message said, Dr. Ng is not in. And I had my material.
1: <laughs> he just wanted to know how to pronounce it, and he didn't have the fucking yeah. internet
0: to use. It's a smart way to do it, I guess. Just give give them a call.
1: Yeah, and yeah, the idea is just being like a song about distance.
0: Yeah, this is like probably the quintessential long-distance relationship song.
1: Like this, or like Transatlanticism by The Death Cab for Cutie. Yep,
0: definitely, that's a good one too. But this is this is a great one. I know it's probably a mainstream choice, but like this would definitely be a top. They might be giants song for me. I really love it.
1: Oh yeah, well, like since I've been doing this on the on the previous episode, I'll look at our rankings on this. Might be a wiki number two out of eight hundred and seventy five, which I'm pretty sure is a different amount of songs than there were last time we recorded. And I I guess I guess there has been several Diala songs since then.
0: We haven't gotten a number one yet, right? I'm really interested to see what that'll be.
1: I'm not going to look it up, but I think I know what it is.
0: I learned that Ng is a Vietnamese name, which means that uh, if this is a song about being in love with somebody on the opposite side of the world, that means that uh, the protagonist or the speaker lives in Peru. Although Linnell didn't know that when he wrote the song. It doesn't sound like it would be set in Peru, but...
1: I would like to think that John Linnell would actually just take a gun and shoot it through a globe to get his answer.
0: That is such a... Great way to open a song slash album, like what a great lyric and a great line and great imagery it's,
1: it's really- yeah, like they're very evocative with their lyrics. you can say that, and
0: like I said, the lyrics really step up here, I think, and I also like this has some of my favorite um vocalization from the Johns too, like you brought up uh last time I think they have this thing that they do in their early days where they like compound very fast vocal runs with more drawn out syllables yeah and like the chorus here is just like a master class and that that still haven't walked in each There's majestic presence it's just so much fun to sing
1: although i think i'm pretty sure this song is uh in the recording john linnell doing backing vocals for himself
0: i think flansberg does um the i don't want the world i just want your half line live though
1: he says it very dramatically <laughs>
0: He sings it to the tune of a line from uh, I've Got a Match.
1: Our friend Lisa Clapp delivered the I Don't Want the World line from her phone at work. Because she's the one who does it on the album.
0: One of the best parts of the song.
1: Yeah, it's really good.
0: Something really entertaining I read on uh, This Might Be a Wiki is in 1996, apparently, Linnell would occasionally open the song live with a chant of oversized load. (laughs) And this... This line would in the bridge replace. I don't want the world. I just want your half. Thanks. That might ruin some of the emotional resonance. Like seeing that song live, you know.
1: Like and Linnell sometimes sings, "It's a small girl after all." During the bridge, they just do shit during the bridge.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just but oversized load. <laughs> I looked up. I w- I tried. Uh, I looked up some live performances to see how they deliver that line, and like most of the ones I could find were from like the mid two thousands to like. 2010s and they look so bored playing this song
1: I feel like they just look at like the the number of performances listed on the wiki is 684 known performances which explains that and that's not even considering the fact that like the the set lists for anything like prior to 1995 are kind of shaky yeah and of course they would have been playing this a lot more before and around the time they released the album in 88 so
0: I know they I know they've gotten tired of like quite a few of their songs like I think when I saw them live it was either Particle Man or Istanbul that they really fucked with and they played like super fast Istanbul,
1: you're thinking of Istanbul because it has a complete it has a completely different intro
0: interesting but they like they played it They
1: released that on their rarities they played
0: it super fast and they sang it with pirate accents
1: (laughs) I think that's another one that they should get the puppets to just sing that'd be pretty good because whenever they get the puppets out it's fucking great um they always have them out for one of the songs later on the album which I will bring up when we get there
0: cool cool Um, did you watch, uh, you've seen the video for this one, of course, right?
1: Yes. Very good video. A lot
0: of fun. I think it's pretty good. It's a good sequel to, uh, the don't let start video that we like, I don't think mentioned that much in our first episode but it's got like a lot of like black and white shots of the John's heads up really close, making a lot of exaggerated movements. The
1: the, the 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 second screenshot they have on the, this might be a wiki article of John Linnell just making the most pained emotional face is very good.
0: He really gets some good expressions in this one. Like, and the cinematography is yeah. super uncomfortable. They put you like right up into his grill. <laughs>
1: into this nerdy man's grill.
0: He looks great here though. His glasses are very cool. Oh, Both yeah. of them look good. And I love those like synchronized, pounding on the desk they do in time with the beat and like they're stomping their feet and stuff it's a lot of fun it's very stylized i love
1: the uh the handbill advert too that's telling people how to pronounce it
0: yeah that's great
1: you say it ang that's how you say it that's our song listen to it
0: yeah this is this is how you say it now is the time to play it yeah uh you want to keep going though because i i like this next one quite a bit too
1: oh yeah absolutely
0: Cowtown.
2: I'm gonna see the
0: Calvin This is kind of like it feels like the perfect version of that like countryish song they kept doing on their first album.
1: hmm and this one I think dates back pretty early.
0: yeah, I read that this was one of the like the first songs they played at uh, one of their first shows.
1: Yeah, they would play it in 82 and uh, they've said like um,
0: as recent as 2008. That it was, like, the first song that they learned how to play together as a band.
1: It's also just a really good one when they have uh, the horns with them.
0: Oh, I can't even imagine. That would rock.
1: Just when they have, like, the dramatic horn parts in the, in the bridges. So the...
0: Yeah, like, there's those really shrieking noises. I can imagine those being a lot of fun with horns.
1: You gotta see They Might Be Giants with Horns is the thing. I need to see They Might Be Giants with Horns. Yeah, one thing that actually is uh was not mentioned in the first episode and is another thing that dates the episode is that they might be giants announced a full canadian tour since that we recorded that one nice so they are actually going to be playing in toronto like a proper show for the first time in 11 years i don't know if i
0: can make it but you got to go and do a live episode
1: i well i'm gonna be there yeah so like I'm, i'm gonna i have free tickets still nice from being in the instant fan club in 2013 you got free tickets that you could redeem at any time. Cool.
0: You've you've seen them a bunch of times. You said right?
1: Yeah, I've seen them three times.
0: Three times, and I know one of them was uh, the Lincoln Flood shows, which sound very cool. Yeah,
1: they're very good. That that was in New York City.
0: But this song, very good too. And again, the lyrics are really something else. They're very out there for like such a like seemingly straightforward country song. Like some I've in my notes here is just uh, we yearn to swim for home, but our only home is bone. How sleepless is the egg Knowing that which Throws the stone Foresees the bone What? Our only home is bone Our only home is bone gonna
1: yeah, thumb over To the interpretations tab For a second Very cryptic It's about manatees The cows beneath the sea Sea cow Manatee Oh god I forgot how the rest Of the song went But there wasn't anything here So I figured I'd fill it With something Written in 2004 <laughs> Great <laughs>
0: So the fan community May be as perplexed As I am
1: Yeah The person who wrote The above about manatees Solved the interpretation As far as I'm concerned Yeah
0: <laughs> this next song is pretty weird Lie Still Little Bottle Lie
2: well, still little bottle I Shake my shaky hand Black coffee's not enough for me I need a better friend One pill at the bottom you' singing my favorite song I know I must enjoy Sing along. That is possibly
1: one of my favorite They Might Be Giants songs.
0: Really, this one's never been that far up there for me, but it is cool. It's very, it's very cool. It's one of the more conceptual ones.
1: First of all, I like to, I like to do finger snaps along with it.
0: Yeah, that's good. It's good for that. Um, I
1: think is this one of the ones that they'd have the stick for? I feel like this is one of the ones they had the stick for. It is.
0: I have here in my notes, uh, Flansburg would sometimes keep time and rhythm by banging an amplified tree branch on the stage as he sings the song. Nice uh, and. The fans would start shouting for it, yelling, The stick! The stick!
1: It's very good. Um, he played this when I saw them in Detroit, which is the first time I saw them, and it wasn't like a Lincoln flood show or anything, so as far as I'm concerned, it was a pretty deep cut.
0: Did they have horns with them? Because this, this is a horny song.
1: They didn't at that point.
0: Are the horns on the album, like, real? Because I know a lot of this is still fake synthetic instrumentation.
1: You know what? I actually don't know.
0: They sound real, and I know that this is the only song on the album with real drums.
1: I don't know if they had very good synth horns at that point.
0: They sound too good to be synth horns from like the late 80s.
1: Yeah, I'd have to find album credits, which I can't see on the page, so I'm just gonna yeah. say they're probably real.
0: But this song does feature live drums. It's got uh, Dr. Kenneth Nolan on the drums. Nice. Maybe foreshadowing, maybe foreshadowing a song of theirs about another doctor that plays the drums.
1: Yeah, Dr. Worm. we got to have to have a requisite Dr. Worm reference yeah. until we get to the album that it's on because Dr. Worm's really good. It's one of their one of their best songs, definitely. One of their best songs and another good song with horns. Yeah. And I don't know how people thought this song was about alcohol when it's clearly about pills.
0: Yeah, uh, John is quoted as saying uh people think that this song is about alcoholism but we are family entertainment and this song is about uh amphetamines and
1: barbiturates (laughs) so don't get the wrong idea yeah we're not talking about alcohol we're talking about drugs it's a
0: good one uh speaking of metaphors my favorite lyric in this one is there's no time for metaphors cried the little pill to me he said life is a placebo masquerading as a simile and i love that that's a metaphor
1: yeah and really good one of my favorite things that I'm reading right now that I somehow missed before is that they basically just stole the arrangement from 16 Tons by Tennessee Ernie Ford.
0: Never heard that song.
1: I want you to one listen to that song and two edit a small clip of the song into here cuz it's like a really good song.
0: All right, we'll listen to a little bit of that right now then.
2: Some people say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in depth. St. Peter, don't you call me, cause I can go. I owe my soul to the company
0: store. I didn't actually listen, I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm gonna say that I totally heard the similarity. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the the great thing about editing in post. I played it on my radio show when I was doing a show about like Labor Day, because it's a very a very Labor Day song. Because it's like it move sixteen tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt.
0: Like it bleak. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's very bleak. It's a very bleak song, and also Tennessee Ernie Ford has an extremely deep voice that I could not possibly imitate.
0: I hope that I get old before I die.
1: <laughs> Don't we all? I want to talk about Purple Toupee. Always want to talk about Purple Toupee. <laughs>
0: this was another single right this is a really cool one
1: i find it weird that this one was a single it,
0: it feels singly to me like this almost feels like it's kind of like another take on uh like the pop song they first tried writing with put your hand inside the puppet head
1: it's amazing that that was their idea of how to write a pop song <laughs>
0: right yeah but this one is almost even weirder because it's got all those like the skewed historical references that are all wrong there's a lot of good like handouts and literature from the band from this period because there's a great press release for purple toupee that lists yeah. all like the historical events they reference and how they're actually like inaccurate like they mentioned martin x which they say is a composite of martin luther king jr and malcolm x two black civil rights leaders assassinated in the 1960s. They were not, in fact, mad about when the government quote, outlawed bell-bottoms. <laughs> that whole that whole verse is really great. I love uh, I shouted out Free the Expo 67 until they stepped on my hair and told me I was fat. Now I'm very big. I'm a big, important man. And the only thing that's different is underneath my hat. Really good.
1: I, I like this one fact because as a noted fan of the GameCube,
0: there's no way that you weren't the one who put this here.
1: <laughs> I wasn't. I actually never had custom Robo, and I really want Nintendo to put it on, like, virtual console or something so I could play it. There's a character that wears a purple toupee during the summer. There's
0: no way you didn't have that
1: fact. I am mad of GameCube Nintendo.
0: I, I also read that this song uh, uses a bunch of, like, uh, a couple Prince songs as a springboard. Like, the title is based on kind of, like, a combination of Purple Rain and Raspberry Beret, which I think is cool. It's neat. Yeah, Like apparently that was a big response to like a 60s revival going on at the time or something.
1: Yeah, I guess that would have been happening around then, eh?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and this whole song is about how like, uh, they saw it as kind of like a complete sham, which is I guess what explains all the weird wrong references.
1: You have to think of it on, like, two different layers, which I think is, like, really true of the interpretations of a lot of They Might Be Giant songs. You have to think of, like, the context in which they're saying the lyrics, Uh as well as, like, what that specific context was referring to. So, like, they're saying it in the context of, like, being, like, a 60s revival, but also the fact that they think the 60s revival is bullshit. Totally. And this is context that you kind of miss on without reading into it.
0: Yeah, they're, they're a band that requires you to do your homework pretty frequently.
1: Yeah, well, it was, like, I, like, got into the MMB and Giants when I was, like, 14. I didn't know this shit. <laughs> I was just enjoying the tunes.
0: What do you think of that lyric, uh, Chinese people were fighting in the park, we tried to help them fight, no one appreciated that.
1: That's kind of a... I don't know
0: what you're going for, buddy. <laughs> Not really totally sure. Interesting
1: one, guys. I just want to look at I'm, I'm on the interpretations page. Chinese people in the park is Tiananmen Square.
0: Got it. That makes sense. See?
1: And then someone says following, no way that that's referring to Tiananmen Square.
0: <sighs> Conflicting reports.
1: Oh, yeah, that happened in 89. There's no way it's Tiananmen Square.
0: Yeah, probably not.
1: Oh, Chinese people were fighting in the park. The narrator confuses Vietnamese with Chinese. We tried to help them fight. No one appreciated that. Vietnam War. We tried to help them fight. No one appreciated that. That's really fucking good. That's really good. And it really fits the, the, the mixed false references. Wow. This is a smart band. This is a smart fucking band. Smart band.
0: And we're smart people because we know this stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is what I like about the fact that I have the interpretations and stuff opening as we're recording instead of making notes beforehand. Yeah. Because I don't, I I will seem less smart and the band will seem more smart. It works for everybody. Good God. Cajun Aquarium. Somebody's reading your mind.
2: Damned if you know who it is. They're digging through all of your files, You're stealing back your best ideas. You cover your windows with lead, even keeping the pets outside. Then you hear a moment too late the sound coming over the phone.
0: Yeah, this is this is an interesting one. Maybe the first one on the album that I don't like really, really like.
1: It only has. 27 performances.
0: Doesn't surprise me. It feels like a hard one to pull off live. I'm not totally sure they pull it off in the studio.
1: I've seen this song live more than most people. They played it at the December 30th show, which I was at. That was 2012. And, like, the only times they really play it are at duo sets and, like, lincoln theme shows. Because otherwise, the last time they'd played it is in 1999.
0: Interestingly enough, this one would probably work really well live with horns.
1: I think they had them. I don't remember if they used him on it.
0: It's an annoying song.
1: I really like it, actually. Really? Just because? Well, first of all, it's short. It is. It does not overstay its welcome. I don't think. Two, I really like the. Um, it's not even a har. It's not even like a harmony. They're both singing the same thing. Just the the joint vocals that they sing in the chorus. Yeah. Um. And I just really like songs that are like about paranoia.
0: There's a couple of really good songs about paranoia on this album, and this is definitely one of them.
1: That sample really drives the energy of the song. Totally.
0: And the lyrics are great too. I've written down here. Uh. Somebody's reading your mind. Damned if you know who it is. Damned if
1: you know who it is. They're digging through all of your files. Stealing back your best ideas. They cover your windows with a Even
0: keeping the pets outside.
1: I can see why you think it's annoying.
0: (laughs) No, but it it works better for you to sing it than for me to read the lyrics.
1: Yeah, and I I really do love doing that.
0: I think this song would be um, pretty good for like uh, if you were making a playlist of songs about plane crashes. You could add this one shit luck by modest mouse and that bright eyes song that opens up i'm
1: wide awake it's morning that starts with a plane crash someone's probably already made this playlist but now i want to make it
0: it's a free idea if you have a themed radio show out there
1: and then of course american pie by don McLean. oh yeah
0: totally the day the music died this next song is also another really good one about paranoia where your eyes don't go
1: This one, I never used to like it that
0: much. Me neither, but it really revealed itself to me while preparing for this episode. Like, I always thought the, uh, like, incorporation of, like, uh, I've been working on the railroad and someone's in the kitchen with the Dinah part during the bridge was kind of, it was a little too corny for me, but, mm-hmm. like, when I focused on, like, all the other parts of the song, it's just a really neat one. Especially that, like, really extended guitar outro that we get from Flans at the end. Yeah. It's really cool, and uh, Linnell's really going off on the organ there, too.
1: I like that the the wiki decides to include that both Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman are fans of this song.
0: This feels like a song that those two would like.
1: I also like that there's an entire, this might be a wiki category, of Kingdom of Loathing references. In that, like, things that things in kingdoms of loathing that refer to them might be giants not the other way around oh interesting it is a very long <laughs> page
0: i'm not super familiar with kingdom of loathing
1: neither am i but like they are clearly huge nerds
0: some lyrics i really like from this one uh every jumbled pile of person has a thinking part that wanders what the part that isn't thinking isn't thinking of should you worry when the skull head is in front of you or is it worse because it's always waiting where your eyes don't go
1: because you can't see your own head you can't see your own head that's that's pretty much all that's saying. This is a neat one, though. I think it's a winner. It's a very good song. Um, I just like Where Your Eyes Don't Go. A filthy scarecrow waves his broomstick arms and does a parody of each unconscious thing you do. Very good. Because that, that's such a paranoid line. Yep,
0: such a, and it's such a good, like weird way to describe the feeling of being
1: paranoid, too. Because, like, that's something I can really relate to also, because whenever I do something unconscious, I, like, rapidly look around and see if anyone saw me do that.
0: Yeah, of course there's going to be a scarecrow behind you making fun of all your exaggerated movements and everything.
1: Well, it's mostly just, like, I'll remember something and, like, frown visibly. Because you know when you just remember something embarrassing you did? Yeah. And then that in itself becomes something embarrassing. Because mm-hmm. I, am, I, am, I have a very expressive face. So, like, you will see every frown. It's
0: a vicious cycle.
1: And that Scarecrow, it has a very angry face drawn on it. Great. Piece of dirt. Piece of dirt.
2: That is all I'm saying. This is
0: another one that really kind of revealed itself to me while preparing for this recording. I never really liked this one. It kind of starts out, you think it's just going to be another one of their, like, goofier, wackier songs. But I think it really gets pretty emotional and very, like, genuine and resonant by the end. This is
1: another one that they didn't really start playing properly again until they started doing Lincoln shows. I wonder why. They had a performance on the 16th of November, 2011. Um, which wasn't listed as a Lincoln show, but then everything after that is a lincoln theme show. Mm. So Mm. that's also where I saw it, so I've seen this one live as well. Cool.
0: Linnell said in 2010 that this song was an odd thing that came together in the studio and was very different and kind of beautiful and rare. It was the result of John and I collaborating, going back and forth and giving each other material, and was unlike anything we had recorded before.
1: I kind of feel like this song, I don't know if this song would work better if he wasn't doing a weird voice for it. He's
0: kind of doing a weird voice, but it's not as weird as some of the other voices he does.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. It's just, well, it's it's him putting on, like, a much deeper voice than he really has. (laughs) He's a very nasally talker.
0: Yeah, and that's why I think, like, the poignancy of this one is kind of, like, uh, buried a bit. You really got to get to the end to, like, get through the whole track, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the whole thing is basically saying I have nothing to stand on. Yeah. That's why he's saying it's a piece of dirt or an ink spot.
0: That ink spot line is really good. And I really love the uh, last couple lines here, too. The whole world has slipped away. I find myself haunted by a spooky man named me. I
1: wish that I could jump out of my skin. Really
0: good. Just more lyrics about being paranoid and anxious and neurotic. I love it.
1: It's very well sung, too. Also, this song has, like, fucking chef kiss accordion parts.
0: Yep, yeah. There's some very nice accordion work on this whole album.
1: Which, like, I love their accordion and I wish it was around more now. You want to keep going and talk about uh, Mr. Me? Mr. Me.
2: maybe regret I floundered in the misty sea but abide its mystery I wound up sad, you bet. so this is the one um, that that
0: electronics chain crazy Eddie tried to like Ripped sneak off. into one of their commercials strangely enough
1: along with absolutely Bill's move <laughs> yeah see, I can see this one working because as long as you're not using the parts with the lyrics in it you can use it in a, it would be it would work in a commercial it sounds like a jingle. With all the whistling and whatnot.
0: I also think something about the vocal delivery here uh, reminds me of something that would be in, like, a Sondheim musical or something.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Like, it, it has a kind of, like, a some, it seems like they could be singing a story to this.
0: Yeah, and, like, it uses the same kind of rhyme schemes I feel like he works with frequently. This is a neat one. It's not one of my favorites on the album. It doesn't really stand out, but it's pretty cool.
1: Also, the, he ended up sad. It's a really good part to for them to play live because live, people fucking scream that shit.
0: Great, I bet. Yeah, that feels like it would be very cathartic.
1: Especially during the second one where they are yelling it. Yeah. They have horns for this one, too. Because I don't... A lot more than they actually have on the recording. They have the whistles done by horns.
0: Oh, that would be pretty cool. This one feels like they could really, like, beef it up live. I'd I'd be really interested in single a live version. But as it is on the album, kind of like a mid-tier track for me.
1: And this is one that's actually been, like, a fairly common set list staple like 82 results that's pretty good where is this in the ranking oh in the ranking yeah number 83 out of 875 that feels high i'm gonna see what it's around i'm not gonna look at the number one while i'm in here sure it's directly below the severe tire damage version of birdhouse in your soul which is very well regarded okay and above hovering sombrero That's a weird, that's a weird company. Can't
0: think of how Hovering Sobrero goes off the top of my head. I
1: might not be familiar with that one. Nor can I. I don't really like it, so that's why I don't ever really listen to it.
0: I'm not a super huge fan of this next song either, uh, The Pencil Rain.
2: The possible dream Finale of scene The moment that some call eternal that some call insane. Now helmets on each head, awaiting the first leg. The pageant is named the Pencil Rain.
1: I love this one. Yeah, and I don't know why.
0: <laughs> it's it's definitely one of the more it's one of the weird high concept uh, Flans tracks.
1: This is a Linnell track actually.
0: This is a Linnell track? No way.
1: Yeah, and he is putting on the deepest voice
0: he can manage. I could have I would have gone to my head I would have told you this was a fan song.
1: The song's title is a parody of the title of Prince's Purple Rain.
0: So that's like the second kind of Prince reference on the
1: album. And I absolutely heard this song long before I was a fan of They Might Be Giants because they used it in a slow motion fight scene on Malcolm in the Middle.
0: Apparently, like, uh, their music popped up quite frequently on there, I
1: guess. Not
0: just the theme song.
1: Mostly in the first two seasons. Okay. Uh, they actually did, like, original music for the first season, which never properly saw the light of day. It was never released. Although, I do have it if you want it. Interesting. There's a song on it called Schoolyard Pokemon. Great. I honestly, I want to look at the interpretations for this one really bad because... Go ahead.
0: Feel free. I can't dive down that rabbit hole, but if you want to...
1: Someone said, have you ever endured a three-hour-long final exam? (laughs) Then you know what this song is about, written in 2005. This song, to me, refers to standardized tests. The first first verse is the moment the proctors tell the students pencils down, and they all clatter to the desks at that moment the test is over, and the fate of the students is decided. That works. (laughs) Taken more literally, the song is about soldiers awaiting the start of a battle of which they are expected to die. And really, isn't that how taking an exam in university feels?
0: I like it. I like this guy. The
1: finale of seam is a line from the poem "The Emperor of Ice Cream" by Wallace Stevens.
0: The full line is "Let be finale of seam," and is generally interpreted to mean "Let true existence put an end to mere appearance." Interesting.
1: That's a poem about death, apparently.
0: But yeah, literally, this song is about mankind fighting a war against like sentient pencils.
1: Yeah, that is ly- that is lyrically the
0: literal thing that they're saying. Seems seems to be what's going on here.
1: Twenty five known performances. That's nothing.
0: Yeah, I wonder what this one is like live. It's really good. I I can imagine this one having some good like crowd participation.
1: One they use the horns. Yeah. And two, they played it both nights I saw them in New York. So
0: Where is this one ranked?
1: Pencil Rain is 326 out of 876.
0: Okay. So probably one of the lower Lincoln ones on the list.
1: Yes. But I really do like it. It was always my favorite when I was younger. I think it's just because of the uh that it's fun to sing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this, this one is, there are like three songs on this album that I would definitely cut. We,
1: we'll get to that at the end.
0: We will, but out of those three, it is my favorite.
1: Yeah, I mean, the other two, we'll, we will get to them. I know which ones you mean.
0: <laughs> this next one is one of them, The World's Address.
1: Yeah.
2: This on the wall reflects an ugly...
0: I really don't like this one. I think this song is very annoying.
1: I like the pun, even though I don't understand they what They say the it like a billion
0: <laughs> times, though. They say it a billion times. <laughs>
1: they ruin their own joke. Yeah. Uh, they don't play this one anymore. Okay. They played it at a Lincoln show in 2015, but otherwise they hadn't played it since 1987 because they did not play it at the Lincoln shows that I saw or any of the other Lincoln shows around that time. It has three known performances. Yeah.
0: This one would be... I would be interested in seeing it live, actually, because I could see them really tearing it up, but, like, I, I definitely wouldn't be holding out for it at a show.
1: This is also a rare track that is written by one John and sung by another. Yep,
0: written by Linnell, sung by Flans, interestingly enough. Although, Linnell does sing on the original demo that aired on the Frank O'Toole show in 1987.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I have that. I probably have it somewhere. I have such a large, obscure collection of They Might Be Giants demos and stuff at this point. I
0: trust you've heard the remix of this one that's on then?
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so weird. Really
0: interesting stuff.
1: This one's actually rated higher than Pencil Rain. Really? 2.24.
0: I I definitely like Pencil Rain better than this. This one really gets on my nerves. How long is it? It feels long. I know it's probably not.
1: It's two minutes and 24 seconds. It
0: feels like it's five minutes long.
1: They might be giants have very few songs that are over three minutes. Yeah. I knew it couldn't be, but it feels long. Called a men of science. And let them hear this song. Tell them Albert Einstein and Copernicus were wrong.
0: That's a good lyric. I like that lyric a lot. But just everything else here. I, I'm not even totally sure what the song means. It feels like a question wrapped in an enigma wrapped in a riddle. What is the world's dress?
1: <laughs> well, the world is a dress. But what? But it's what's a place the world's that, address? It's a place that's worn like a dress. And it's a sad pun that reflects a sadder mess. It's a pun that I don't think they actually thought of a reason.
0: Yeah, yeah. The boys are very clever. They're very funny. I don't know if this is one of my favorite jokes of theirs. Let's
1: look at the interpretations. Oh, good God. There is 18 interpretations. Anybody saying anything interesting? The title is a pun, but it's not just wordplay. There is a discrete ontology being expressed here. The world's address, a place that's worn, refers to the same essence perception duality first expressed in Puppethead. God, I love this shit. It's good the world for the most people is indistinguishable from their perceptions of it when in fact our perceptions are only sensory projections onto something we could only experience directly in the form of our own bodies thus for most people the world is something they unknowingly wear sure (laughs) it helps to understand the puppet head is a metaphor for the same phenomenon the perceptual world existing in the world means automatically appearing in the puppet show so it's <laughs> an like a, a musing on perception. I can I can I can vibe with that. I can I can
0: get down with that. Yeah, definitely. Very existential, very deep. I like it. All right. I like this next song too. I've got a match.
2: Get out of the car me one more time well i guess that i'm gonna die no
1: matter what. i've got a match they also never play anymore and i'm really mad about it because i love it
2: i
0: heard that they played it a lot when they first put it out and like this was the first song they ever got
1: really sick of playing live Flansburg wrote oh yeah yeah he's he, he wrote that on tumblr That he, that is one of the ones he doesn't play anymore. Yeah. Along with You'll Miss Me and The World's Address, this is one of the three songs not played at their Lincoln album shows. While the other two were played in 2015, this one has not been played since 1989. I didn't know they actually played You'll Miss Me, because that one's a really fucking hard one to do. Yeah. I
0: I know they have uh, some, like, mixed feelings about transferring that one from live to studio and... So forth, uh, but we'll talk about that.
1: But yeah, this one, this one's ranked fifty-four. It's actually one of the higher ones on Lincoln. I, I get that because it's really good. This
0: is a really good song. I like this one a lot. It reminds me. I think you'll appreciate this. It really reminds me of uh, the Mountain Goats' Alpha Song series. Yeah, which documents like a mutually destructive, abusive relationship.
1: <laughs> I feel really sad knowing that one time someone brought up that they might be giants. Mountain Goats comparison to John Lin- uh, to, to John Darnielle on their forum in like two thousand five. And he thought it was an unflattering comparison at the time.
0: Yeah, you you mentioned that on our last episode, and that really surprises me.
1: I wonder if his opinion has changed since then. I really hope it yeah, has.
0: Yeah, I wonder what his exposure to The Might Be Giants has been like to get him in that mindset. Because,
1: like, they are, uh, like, definitely goofier than him.
0: Yeah, but they are, at the same time, a very literate, smart band. In, like, the same way as the Mountain Goats are.
1: Yeah, and, like, they speak a lot more in metaphor.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's that's true. And they
1: are almost never talking about themselves.
0: But this song has like some lyrics I think that could like fit right into like any of the Alpha Mountain Goat songs. Like, beat up the cat if you need someone else on the mat. I put a rock in the coffee in your coffee mug. Which one of us is the one that we can't trust? You say that, I think it's you, but I don't agree with that.
1: God, can you imagine how good it would be if John Darnielle covered this song? That
0: would be sick. That would be really oh, good. That would be
1: really good.
0: Guys, Bury the Hatchet, John
1: Darnielle. Cover I've Got a Match. I want all the Johns to be friends. Yeah. Like, my, my, my collected John chart of all the Johns that know one are friends with each other. I'm pretty sure there's still a John Darnielle connection to They Might Be Giants eventually down the chain somewhere, but I don't remember where it is.
0: Maybe that'll be a goal of the podcast.
1: To track the John chart.
0: Track the John chart and to get They Might Be Giants and the Mountain Goats to, like, become friends. Can we figure out a way to do that?
1: Yeah, because, like... Currently, the John chart, like, there's John Darneel and John Vanderslice are on their own world on the other side of the chart. But then we got John Linnell and John Flansburg, who are friends with Jonathan Colton, because Flansburgh did his album. And then there's also John Hodgman, who is the deranged millionaire who opened for them at several shows.
0: Shit, I wanted to ask you this. I was going to ask you, like, because last time we talked about a They Might Be Giants uh, TV show— in which they didn't play themselves. Yeah. And I was wondering who you would cast as the Johns. Hmm. Because I think uh John Hodgman would make a great Flansburg.
1: He would make a great Flansburg, but I would also want him to play the Deranged Millionaire, which is a good character. Sure. But of course, like it's it's gonna be a cartoon anyway, so it's fine. Yeah. I think you could do a good one. Um Linnell Linnell, hmm. I think you could get
0: um Ken Jennings would be a lot of fun. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) That would be so good. You get John
0: Hodgman and Ken Jennings as the fictional Johns. Yeah,
1: no, that would be very good. Just, like, two trivia-associated nerds. Yeah. See, now we need to pitch this cartoon. We need to figure out who's going to draw it, what kind of style it's going to be in. I think it'd be perfect. I'm thinking just, like, a really dramatic anime.
0: Sure. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think it could work. The ending could be, like, a play on End of Evangelion where, like, Linnell is strangling Flansburg on, like, uh, the side of a blood-soaked beach with a giant any...
1: William Allen Whitehead in the background. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I want someone to make this, please. If yep. our podcast has listeners at this point, I want this fan art to be drawn. There is a great love of God. Uh,
0: end of Evangelion poster. That's like Shinji and Asuka sitting with their back to the camera, looking out over the blood ocean, while, like, Ray's giant face sinks in it. And, like, that's what I'm picturing. Like, the two Johns sitting on the beach with the head sinking in the blood. That'd be so good.
1: (laughs) They thought they were giants, but, in fact, she was giant all along. Love it. Love it. At least a giant was confirmed. You want to talk about Santa's beard? I do want to talk about Santa's beard.
2: Once a year, my friend puts on a red suit and hangs around with me and my.
0: This is my third, like, hard skip on the record.
1: Honestly, I'm surprised that You'll Miss Me is not one of them.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry, there are four. I do not like (laughs) You'll Miss Me. In fact, so much so that I forget that it exists.
1: Yeah, that happens a lot.
0: Yeah, but Santa's beard, another one that's, like, really annoying, and it just kind of makes me uncomfortable. The
1: one part that's really, yeah, it's it's, it's just about, it's about jealousy. And,
0: like, infidelity. It doesn't
1: need to be about Santa at all.
0: There's more than one song about, like, somebody's partner cheating on them with Santa Claus. Right? Because there's I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. And then there's this.
1: Yeah, this one is ranked 717 out of 876. Good. Stay down there. Don't come near all my precious children by the time, Yeah, no, this is like an incredibly literal song that doesn't really have anything deep below the lyrics. There's a great quote from Flansburg in 2011 discussing the
0: title when he said, "Uh, I remember when I found out there's a Beach Boys song called Santa's Beard. I was really shocked. (laughs) Why? I don't know. That's the, that's the full quote uh, yeah not, not one of my favorites it's
1: not there's not much to it I just don't no. really care for it at all I don't skip it anymore mind you because it's only two minutes I can call something my favorite album of all time and still have a song I don't particularly like on it. well other albums where I like every single song don't have a higher ranking because everything's subjective
0: sometimes when you fall in love with something so deeply, you love its blemishes yeah I don't like this next one either though we mentioned it you'll miss me
1: can see this song working I actually I asked them about this when I interviewed um, John Flansberg about why he never plays this and I wish I had a transcription of my own interview I really should have one made so I could use it to refer to. You. And it was basically saying because, uh, yeah, the studio version of the song drastically differs from earlier demos, which feature- featured slow beats and mellow vocals. I'd be
0: interested in hearing that.
1: And they play it really weird live, from what I've been told, because they have never played it at a show I've been at. Because they played it in 1997, then hmm. they never played it again till the Music Hall of Williamsburg Lincoln show in 2015.
0: But yeah, this one's really, like, discordant, very abrasive. Not really a fan.
1: I like to think of it as, like, a weird semi-Tom Waits impression at some points.
0: Oh, I definitely get a Tom Waits vibe from it. That's a good comparison. If
1: we're we're doing our, like, dream covers album of They Might Be Giants Lincoln, I would love to hear Tom Waits do this song.
0: Great. That's another thing we should assemble as we go. I think last time we mentioned... We'd both enjoy hearing Elvis Costello covering Youth Culture Killed My Dog.
1: And then this time we have, so far, John, cover, uh, John Darniel covering I've Got a Match. Yep. And now Tom Waits covering You'll Miss Me. It's a sick record. It must be raining because a man ain't supposed to cry. It's a great lyric. I was just about to say. When I look up and I don't see a cloud. <laughs> that, coming out of Tom Waits' mouth, would be fucking incredible. It would
0: work really well. They, just,
1: they, they do not have the chops for the recorded version of this song. Yeah.
0: But the, but some of the lyrics are really good. That one's great, and I really like uh, your money talks, but my genius walks. Morticians wait with a shovel and a fork. As detectives trace my hands with chalk. More really good Tom Waitsian stuff. Like they
1: they uh they're, they're really evocative lyrics, and I actually do really want to hear this song live now because I want to see what they do with it with a full band. Mhm. Mhm. I'd be
0: interested because, too. Because
1: oh, a full band and like if they have horns on them at the time. Like, that's going to be really cool. But, like, they're never going to play it at a non lincoln theme show. Right.
0: They wouldn't really bust this one out in any other occurrence.
1: No. But you know what they will bust out is this next one.
0: (laughs) They'll need a crane.
2: Love sees love's happiness. But happiness can't see. The love is sad. The love is sad. Sadness is hanging there. You shall love somewhere Something needs a change They need a change They'll need a grain They'll need a grain To take the house He built for her Apart to make it break.
1: It's gonna take A metal ball Hung from a chain
0: This is like One of the best They Might Be Giants songs Definitely
1: I was just gonna say that The Wrens should cover this But they literally already did
0: What this song really reminds me of Though more than anything Like uh, when we're talking about Other bands Is the Smiths Like that guitar tone That Flans opens with And like even the Little line he plays is very uh, Johnny Marr.
1: Do you can do you do a good Morrissey impression? Love sees, love sees loves, loves happiness. Yeah, <laughs> my
0: favorite lyrics in this song, and like probably my favorite thing might be Giant's lyrics. Full stop. Are those ones in the bridge? Don't call me at work again. No, the boss still hates me. I'm just tired, and I don't love you anymore. And there's a restaurant we should check out where the other nightmare people like to go. I mean, nice people. Baby, wait! I didn't mean to say nightmare. <laughs> I love that. I love that it happens in real time. Yeah, like, it's so good, baby. Wait, I didn't mean to say nightmare, but this one, this one's great. It was uh, they they performed it on late night with David Letterman in 1989. That was a great performance. I recommended you check it out. John is. Flansburg is, like, really jumping around, going hard on his guitar. It's a high-energy performance. I like it a and, lot. And
1: Linnell's hair is a goddamn mess. Yes. And crucially, they did perform this song with uh, Letterman's house band at the time, because none of those other guys were in the band at the time.
0: What a weird one for them to choose to do on a late-night show.
1: Yeah, but it works. They did it really well. It, it does.
0: Yeah. Just uh, Definitely one of their darker songs from their earlier period, which is like saying something, too.
1: Yeah, well, it's another, it's another one of their... Um, like, dark songs that sound happy. Like, if you're not listening to the lyrics of this song, like, it has a bit of a melancholy tinge, especially in the the way the guitar is tuned, specifically, the very, as you say, Johnny Marsh way that the guitar is tuned. Yeah. Very kind of melancholy sounding, but, like, he's singing in, like, an I don't know music terms, but I'm pretty sure it's major.
0: He really starts belting out the song title there at the end. It's very powerful.
1: One thing I wanted to say um, in reference to this and also uh, Lucky Ball and Chain on Flood, which we'll talk about next month, is that the Johns both write very good songs about divorce for two guys who have not been divorced. Totally, yeah. <laughs> like, they have just this really good knowing how a relationship breaks down. Because, like, the you kind of feel the relationship dissolve through the song. Especially the part that you mentioned, like, the lyrics that you said. Yeah.
0: Baby, wait, I didn't mean to say that. You can <laughs> dig so deep into that lyric, too. Like, this is a song about a guy whose relationship is going so poorly that, like he starts like referring to him and his partner as like nightmare people until one day it eventually like accidentally slips out. Yeah, and like just imagine your partner saying that out of nowhere, like, hey, the other nightmare people are doing this, we should do it too.
1: <laughs> as we are all nightmare people,
0: like, yeah, leave that guy. Yeah, next up, we've got shoehorn with teeth.
2: He wants a shoehorn,
1: the kind with teeth.
2: People should get beat up for stating their beliefs. He wants a shoehorn, the kind with teeth. He knows there's
1: no such thing. Yeah. I love that they have just a bell affixed to Marty Beller's drums for this song. Oh, that's
0: cool. I would love to see this one live.
1: So they just, for, for the little ding, yeah. they've played this song 382 times, so it would be a very good chance that you would see it live.
0: This is a neat little one. There's not a ton going on in it, but it's, it's very cool. It's very catchy. I get it stuck in my head all the time.
1: I cannot see a shoehorn without thinking of one with teeth. <laughs> do
0: you see a lot of shoehorns? I feel like it doesn't really... I do.
1: Really? I have a shoehorn in my backpack. My dad and my brother both keep several shoehorns by the door. Hmm. We are just lazy people who don't like tying our shoes. Yeah. But we also don't want to destroy the backs of our shoes, so we always have shoehorns handy. But, like, I don't see what advantages teeth would add.
0: <laughs> There's some really interesting lyrics in this one. Like, People
1: uh, should get beat up for stating their beliefs. They should, yeah. I mean, if they're Nazis. What's
0: the sense in ever thinking about the tomb when you're much too busy returning to the womb?
1: That just means fucking. Okay, I see it. Yeah, that's where it's going. But anyway, um, another fan art thing I need. A shoehorn, the kind with teeth. When the ding happens, Richard Spencer gets punched in the face. I can't
0: believe I didn't see that meme.
1: So um, fan art people, please make this video and then send it to us on Twitter. MBG fan cast.
0: But yeah, all the lyrics are a lot of fun. Tour the world in a heavy metal band, but they ran out of gas. The plane can never land. What does that mean?
1: He asks the girl if they could both sit in a chair, but he doesn't get nervous. She's not really there.
0: But yeah, this one's cool. It sounds like them writing a little, cute little jingle. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's a good come down from, uh, they'll need a crane too. I feel like you kind of need a breather after the emotional intensity of that one. And this is a nice little shrug off of that.
1: I know they have a lot of short songs, but man, they're several, there are four, five, six songs under two minutes on this album. I don't mind, I don't mind. There's nothing wrong with keeping it brief and tight. I mean, a couple of them are bad songs, so it's fine. In that case, the shorter the better, in my opinion. Yeah, but no, I really do like this song. What do you
0: think of Stand On Your Own Head? It's pretty good.
2: I like people They're the ones who can't stand They're the ones who can't stand I see smoke signals coming from Say
1: we are out of furniture. This song was released in 1988. The first known performance of it didn't happen until a Lincoln show in 2011. They just never played this when they released the album. It makes me feel like they weren't super fond of it. Maybe it's just kind of... Because they have a lot of weird vocal tics in this song. Yeah. So maybe it's just something that's kind of hard to do with older voices.
0: This is another one with really cryptic, mysterious lyrics. Like, I like people are the ones who can't stand. I see smoke signals coming from them. They say, we are out of furniture. You made my day. Now you have to sleep in it. I love the world, and if I have to sue for custody, I will sue for custody. Give me some skin to call my own. That's that's a good one. I like that lyric a
1: lot. I, I feel
0: I feel ya, yeah, You know.
1: Let's let's thumb over to the interpretations tab. This song is sung through the point of view of an animal whose skin is being used to make rugs. He asks us humans, "Why don't you stand on your own head for a change? Why didn't you make a rug out of your own skin? My skin is mine, not <laughs> yours to make crap like rugs." Funny.
0: Good interpretation of the title. I like that a lot. Uh,
1: To me, the narrator is just misinterpreting a bunch of commonly used phrases. You made my day, now you have to sleep in it, is a mashup of made my day and you've made your bed, now sleep in it. Give me some skin to call my own is give me some skin and a place to call my own. Possibly the most obvious of explanations. Sure. The divorce of a pair of hippies from the husband's perspective. I don't understand that one. (laughs) Yeah, I don't get that one at all. But I think that other one kind of makes sense and it
0: reminds me of what they were doing on a purple toupee too doing things like intentionally incorrect.
1: And it's, it's its very goofy and you kind of have to dig into it to see what they're trying to say. And I don't fully understand it. Yeah. It does work as a song, but it's also, again, a minute and 16 seconds long. So even if it didn't work, it wouldn't be there for very long. I
0: think this next one is pretty short too, but I like it quite a bit. Snowball in Hell.
2: Avalanctero <laughs> In his cell, but he's all broke, and food's going hungry. If it wasn't for disappointment, I wouldn't have any appointment.
1: This is runner for one of my favorites on the album.
0: This feels like uh, like the definitive early Flans anti-work track.
1: There are a lot of them. Yeah. This is one of the better ones.
0: The dialogue during the bridge, that part with like uh, back on that old time is money kick, not back on it, still on it, that's really good. Yeah. Comes from a 1977 cassette re-release of a 1961 LP titled How to Master Time Organization by Paul J. Meyer. Bill Krauss brought the tape at a flea market for 25 cents and gave it to Flansburg for his birthday. <laughs>
1: that old the whole thing is a part of a how to get your shit together skit. It's a really silly tape. It has no useful tips on how to be more organized. Yeah. We probably needed to get permission for sampling, but we didn't. We get been very bad about getting permission on sampled things i hope we don't get sued <laughs> i
0: don't think like johnny cash ever came from for using that lyric in uh daddy'll sing bass could really could have really put an early end to the band i feel
1: like johnny cash is too cool for that probably my favorite part with this song is when they play it live the uh back on it joe still on it stuff um the whole bit is performed by them as puppets oh that's great so they just kind of have the doo doo looping for like four minutes as the puppets just do like random riffs
0: that's great i love that
1: and then eventually you get to some of the dialogue but they always fuck up the dialogue that's like
0: i think that's the best way they could incorporate that into the live performance that i can think of that's i like that a lot yeah
1: and this one has been performed 30 times which is not that many no not really they do bring it out for non-lincoln shows now that they have the puppets because mm-hmm. this is just a song that works well with the puppets.
0: And it's a song that works really well in its spot in the album, too. This feels like a great penultimate track.
1: Yeah, no, it's very good. And the last the last one is also very, very good.
0: Kiss me, son of God.
2: I built working class But they've their shyness. now they're calling me your and
1: world's me, son of God. First of all, the harmonizing in this song is so good.
0: The intro of this song has always sounded to me like um like you're watching a play and the actors are rushing to get into place for like the big act three finale song. Like there's something that feels very hurried about it.
1: This does feel like a song that would work really well in musical theater. Yeah,
0: definitely. They sell
1: it like. But yeah, it's like very. It's very about some kind of like demagogue political figure. Yeah, the lyrics are great. And I actually played this song on my radio show immediately after the election of Donald Trump. That works well. Because it really does.
0: I built a little empire out of some crazy garbage called the blood of the exploited working class.
1: But now they've overcome their shyness and they're calling me your highness and the world screams kiss me son of God. Great. And I like I look like Jesus so they say but Mr. Jesus is very far away. Like someone who espen- essentially exploits the tenets of Christianity without actually being a devout Christian.
0: The little mister that that, like, he puts in in front of that second Jesus is doing so much work, too. It feels so condescending and, like, the best ride, Mr. Jesus.
1: (laughs) Fan art request number three, someone use that thing that they use to chop people's speeches together and find Donald Trump saying all the words in this song and chop it together for him. I'd
0: be interested in hearing that as well, yeah.
1: That This one is a lot more work than the other two. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but... It'd be pretty good.
1: <laughs> it would be really fucking good is the thing. We would
0: definitely mention you on the next episode. But
1: like, I feel like this was actually just a play on Reagan. Sure. Totally. Cause that would be more timely given yeah. he was, you know, just exiting his presidency at this time. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess he would still be in it in 1988. He would have exited in 1989.
0: Right. This song is really cool though. There's a great story about when they played it, uh, on a TV station in Kansas city, Missouri, Apparently, right after the I look like Jesus line, they pulled them off the air.
1: <laughs> That's such a like Christians getting mad for the wrong reason kind of thing, because like it's clearly I, I think it's clearly making fun of people who use Christianity in like a, a leadership kind of way.
0: Totally. Who exploit it.
1: This song is about a CEO is one of the interpretations written. So, yeah, makes sense.
0: I really like the um, I, I like the concept of like uh, like TV stations and stuff booking musical acts and having no idea what they're in for. Like, it reminds me of that great uh, video of Dan Deacon performing, like, uh, Ohio on the news. You've seen that?
1: That is one of my favorite videos that's, of all time. It,
0: that's one of Apparently, my favorites. Apparently, he was
1: just friends with one of the producers.
0: Yep. And I'm sure and... they had no idea what they were going to get, <laughs> but so then weird. they got what they got.
1: Um, yeah. Um, on the interpretations page, someone says President Trump. So, it's, uh, I'm not the only one who thinks this. This is not an allegory. This is the story of Wall
0: Street. What do you think of the alternate version of this song? Did you like uh, revisit that one to
1: prepare for this? I haven't, but I'm going to do it right now.
0: Much simpler arrangements. I think it's just kind of like guitar and accordion. It sounds more like a They Might Be Giants song. But I got to say, I like the version they went with on the album better.
1: I like They have a different set of harmonies on this one. Yeah,
0: the vocals are a bit different too, but mainly it's the arrangements.
1: Like a lot louder accordion parts. Mm-hmm. I actually like the harmonies on this one better, but the arrangement of the album version is better.
0: I really like all those strings and stuff, they're very good.
1: Cool. God, I love the same ones that I tortured. Yep. With that that's the same in both of them, but it's very good. That's Kiss Me Son of God, and that was Lincoln. That is one of their best closers. I'm not gonna say it's their best closer, because their first three albums all have perfect closers. Like, they're all vying for top spot for me. Because like yeah, Road Movie to Berlin which is the closer on Flood is also just Chef Kiss. Primo.
0: Excellent. But we'll talk about when we get to that. Of course. First, I wanted to talk about a couple B-sides from this era. Yes. We didn't do that last time. And we're not going to talk about all the ones from Lincoln. But there are a couple that I really associate with the album and that I feel are strong enough to make the record. So I wanted to go into them, uh, starting with It's Not My Birthday.
2: Well, the rain falls down without my help. I'm afraid and my long gets wet, though I've withheld my consent. When this gray world crumbles like a cake, I'll be hanging from the hoop. That I'll never
0: see that recipe again. This is a good song. This was released on, uh, I think this was released
1: on the They'll Need a Crane" yeah. EP and the Anna Ing single. And then also it was part of Miscellaneous Tea and then the earlier years. So like it was on all the rarity compilations.
0: This one's cool though. It's uh, probably my least favorite of the three tracks we're going to be talking about now, but it's like, it's got a lot of good, fun lyric stuff going on. Like I love that opening lyric, the rain falls down without my help, I'm afraid, and my lawn gets wet, though I've withheld my consent. <laughs> It's great. This is also a good one live. Do they play this one live frequently? Like, uh, um, it
1: has seventy nine known performances, so not a decent, no, too, too much, much, but like a, a lot more recently. It's a very, it's very recent. Most of the plays are since two thousand eight. And what's the ranking for this one? It's not my birthday. Is number thirty one? Pretty high. <laughs> I'll never see that recipe again. As a reference to Macarthur Park, which is such a goofy
0: song, It's a really good one though. Really good for B side. As good as many
1: bands' album tracks. They might be giants. Have just an absurd collection of good b-sides
0: let's talk about another b-side though nightgown of the soul and moon
2: fell on the door and you fell on the floor with your hand on the knob looking up and abruptly forget what you think thinking. fire alarms go up in your head you live in the nightgown of the sun.
1: But this one the most is, just the syncopation of the drums when he's doing the drug trip. It's not a drug trip, but you feel a bit insulted. That part's so nice. They've only played this song live once.
0: Really? 1995. This one never comes up. This is a really nice one. There's something that feels very, like,
1: genuine and romantic about it. I just like it a lot. It's very wistful. Yeah, I know. It's very good. Yeah. <laughs> it was... They didn't know that it was actually the title of a book.
0: And like you said, the, the vocalization is, like, so good at that... The way it opens fell in the door and you fell on the floor with your hand on the knob looking up and abruptly forget what you're thinking. Fire alarms go off in your head. You live. Love that.
1: Yeah, it was ranked number 27 out of 876. So another high nice. one.
0: Yep. These are these are some classics hidden away. See,
1: Linnell's, Linnell said that the song was inspired by a young girl's drawing, which was probably inspired by the book that's the title's from.
0: This one was also on the They'll Need a Crane EP and the Anna Ng single, as well as some of their compilations like Miscellaneous Tea and then...
1: It's a cool one, though. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good track. I just like the mm-hmm. uh, I, like, I like the way the drums go through it very much.
0: This next one we're going to talk about, though, is maybe my favorite theme Might Be Giants song. Hey, Mr. DJ, I thought you said we had a deal.
2: I could never sleep my way to the top Cause my alarm clock always wakes me right up And since my options have been whittled away bargain with my radio DJ I said I'd like this song to be number one He said I'd really, really like to help you, my son And then I knew that I would have him to thank Because he asked me how much I had in the bank He said to think long-term investment And that all the others have forgiven themselves He said the net reward would justify The colossal mess they made of their lives
1: this one is ranked number 14. Good. It is ranked well above most tracks on Lincoln. I, it's it's so good. Matt, it's so good. <laughs> like,
0: I really wanted to close our discussion of Lincoln with this song. Because I think it, like, forms an interesting pair with one of your favorite They Might Be Giant songs. And the song we closed our last conversation uh, with... Rhythm Section 1 at.
1: Rhythm Section 1. Because
0: that song is about, like, they might be giants kind of doubling down on their, like, weirder than the other band's aesthetic and kind of pushing through all, like, the bullshit they have to deal with and succeeding. Yeah. Whereas this song kind of, like, I think it imagines an alternate history where they attempt to sell out, but it doesn't work, (laughs) and that, like, leads to the destruction of the band.
1: As someone who went to school for radio, I love that there's a song dedicated to payola as a concept.
0: Yeah, it's great. The song was originally called Sleeping My Way to the Top. Yeah,
1: it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, they never played it live till 2008
0: i looked up a live performance of it and they had horns and it sounded incredible
1: yeah they do like double check if i actually saw this song live i did (laughs) i didn't remember if i'd seen it live but they actually played it both nights i was there
0: i'm very jealous because yeah this is definitely one of my all-time favorites this does the um like beatles glass onion thing where they uh reference other songs of theirs like uh, they mentioned Chesapeake's face and Rabbit Child. I think it's interesting that um, all those songs that Linnell mentions are like Flans tracks.
1: Yeah, there are so many interpretations that get into like this jealousy that they imagine between different members of the band. Interesting. It's amazing how often this comes up. Huh? They they, they they think that they think that John Linnell is super jealous that their first Grammy was won for a Flans song.
0: I feel like if there were if there was that kind of conflict in the band, whether it was expressed or not. This isn't a group that like could have lasted as long as it has, but like <laughs> they've kind of never stuff.
1: gone more than four years without releasing an album. Yeah, I
0: think that's so respectable and so cool. They
1: have a very strong working relationship.
0: Yep. I I've never gotten any kind of bad blood vibes.
1: I would like the only time they even pretend bad blood is the puppets. The puppets pretend to hate the main members of the band a lot.
0: Interestingly enough, one of my favorite references to another They Might Be Giants song this one is the one he makes to the world's address. I told you about the world. It's a dress.
1: That's great. (laughs) It keeps the pun intact. Yeah, it
0: keeps the pun intact. (laughs) And speaking of like imaginary covers, I have like a really left field one for this one, I think.
1: Alright. I would
0: really love to hear this song covered by Panda Bear from Animal Collective.
1: Man, how would that Just, work? It
0: has like those like little like
1: Hey Mr DJ, I thought you said we had a deal. It has those like hey, hey, hey
0: background vocals that he could do really well. <laughs>
1: let's do our best panda bear impressions
0: if you don't have a panda bear impression you're not an animal collective
1: fan as uh, far as uh, i'm concerned uh, 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 uh. <laughs> god we are have we outed ourselves as like 2009 era pitchfork hipsters
0: totally i mean i still remember when Merriweather post pavilion leaked on christmas it was one of the greatest days of my life this
1: is a bleak references that no one will get Hey, this is our podcast about the maybe Giants. I hope you enjoyed our episode about the best album of all time, Lincoln.
0: Good app, good album, good songs. Really enjoy this one. Do you want to hear my um, my edited 10-track, like, abridged version of this? Yes, of course. 10 songs long, pretty short 23 minutes, but hey, that just means you can listen to it twice in quick succession. Absolutely. And these songs are so good, you're going to want to. So uh, I keep the opener, Anna Ng. I think that's a great track to start out on. Then, like, the first half, first five songs would be uh, Purple Toupe, Cowtown, Where Your Eyes Don't Go, and a close side one with I've Got a Match. I think that works pretty well. Oh, wow. You cut a lot there. Super utilitarian. Okay. And side two, another five.
1: Is it just They'll Need a Crane through Kiss Me, Son of God? Oh, it might be.
0: They'll Need a Crane, Shoehorn with Teeth, Stand on Your Own Head, Snowball in Hell, and Kiss Me, Son (laughs) of God. I feel like
1: that's an unimpeachable run of five tracks.
0: The album kind of closes on a very strong note, we realize.
1: Yeah, like I... For a while, there was this period of time where I would just have the last five tracks on this album on loop.
0: There are good ones. Although, like, if I, if I could, I would totally call an Audible here, maybe. And I like it a lot, but I could see myself replacing Kiss Me, Son of God with Hey, Mr. DJ.
1: That would also work as a closer.
0: It works really well as a closer, especially with their first closer being We're Rhythm Section 1 ad. Because like I said... They form a good pair.
1: <laughs> they're good They're good referential songs.
0: One is the good ending and one is the bad ending.
1: Man, the Australian bonus tracks for this are so many. <laughs> I like that they have the school children singing Particle Man on this one and not on Flood. Really weird. We'll talk about Particle
0: Man and all that fun stuff next time, though.
1: Yeah, when we get to Flood, their most popular album and their they're tr- they're, they're, it went gold, actually. It sold over a million copies. Can't wait to talk about that.
0: Until then, though, I'll say that if you like the show, you should subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. You can write to us at... Uh, TMBGFanCast at gmail.com or follow us at TMBGFanCast on Twitter. And you can follow us on Tumblr. At GiantsConfirmed.tumblr.com, and Matt, do you want to say where um, where people can find you? Because uh, you, you do a ton of other podcasts.
1: I do a million things forever. You've
0: got a very good political show. Yes,
1: we have Henry Kissinger's Pokemon Going to Die. That sounds like a threat. It's not a threat. It's just a fact. Okay, okay. I, I, We're all Pokemon but, going to die one day. That's true. We record every week. I'm not always on it, but we have 14 hosts, so that's fine. It's a very
0: funny show. Those those guys have some good heads on their shoulders.
1: Yeah, it's popping over at Henry Kissinger's Pokemon Going to Die. I have a Pokemon podcast called Elite Full Restore which by the time this comes out, I will have recorded another episode. If I don't, then this will be false fact, but I want Trevor to leave it in anyway, because I need to hold myself to this.
0: That's, that's another show with a great oblique reference for a title.
1: Yeah. It's a reference to an an old Tumblr text post that my friend made. A very
0: old Tumblr text post. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, possibly one of my other podcasts will have launched by then because I'm planning on starting a bunch of them. And
0: I do a podcast about the band Gorillaz with my good friend Dylan Flynn. That's called Hallelujah Monkeys. Very worth checking out, I think. So I do that show, I do um a great show about one hit wonders with my friend Max Stentrum. one hit wonders of the world. Ah, so good. We've recently covered Who Let the Dogs Out and Rapper's Delight. A lot of fun episodes.
1: And then maybe by the time this is out, we'll have done the episode that we should you should do with me, which is one week by Bare Naked Ladies.
0: Yes. Definitely looking forward to that. It's
1: the thing about us not knowing when this episode's gonna come out exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might
1: have already done it, who knows. Yeah.
0: So definitely check those out if you want to hear more of me or Matt in other places and do all that other stuff if you want to support the show.
1: Yeah, and no, otherwise you can follow me on Twitter at mattgcn or on Tumblr at Tremampoline. Uh, for now, though, I've been Trevor Ickrath. I'm Matt Ribeiro. And until next time, laugh and make
0: a fortune off the same ones that you torture as the world screams...
1: Kiss me, son of God. God!
2: that's